time to put on a wig because that's the way you get this comedy gig steal funny jokes from a bum in your store say it on stage the people want more make some comedy albums for some more than that make your own movie wear your pimp hat this episode ain't gonna be tame because on netflix and chat we watched all of is my name i'm Devin barnes you know what i'm saying and with me always is my man liam whaler <laughs> yo yo motherfucking yo you good, right? You, you good. got me there with the at the yeah. end with the Waylon plan. Oh, nice. Yeah, right? <laughs> I uh, realized uh, halfway through watching this movie what the intro was going to have to be. <laughs> yeah, the uh, uh, I was definitely expecting some rhyming, expecting some early hip hop, uh, as Dolomite <laughs> claims, as we'll get into. But uh, definitely. An innovation. I used to in my in my high school freestyle days, which might come up as well. But I used to go with the Liam uh, uh, can't see him or wanna be him, something like that. But Waylon and playing, very clever from the wordsmith. Yeah, thank you, thank you. It took me back to the uh, writing the geeked up theme song. Now, I mean, I guess on that uh, note, we're still taking those episode ten emails, y'all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is the sucker MC? A stuck MC challenge right there. I mean, I guess that counts towards the uh, towards the email, you know. Like you can take that intro into consideration for the the acapella rhymes. We'll see what oh, Davi yeah, thinks. We'll, uh... Dolomite and early '80s rapping. Um, <laughs> but welcome to the show, everybody. I guess that's pretty much all the rhymes I have for you in this episode. But we'll see. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, of course, uh, with that intro, I said in the rhyme, if you couldn't hear me, we were watching Dolomite is my name. Uh, I kept uh, calling it to myself in the widest way. My name is Dolomite. I had to uh, <laughs> re-look it up. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I'm just calling Yoda twist on it. Yeah, exactly. Your geeked twist. But, uh, I mean, it was. I was just calling it Dolomite. But then it kept on. I kept on getting the real version on, uh, on my Google you watch the uh, real film and were looking for Eddie Murphy the whole time? Exactly. This guy really went into character here. Jesus Christ, you would not even know this is Eddie Murphy. <laughs> and how did they film it to look so 70s? This is. But thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, make sure to check back our last episode of Netflix and Chad Spencer Confidential. <laughs> kind of and, a, uh, a very different, but in a lot of ways, very similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It definitely had a lot of the same tropes. Of, uh, but, uh, of course, check out all of those back episodes. Uh, check out the Geeked Up uh, Coronavirus episodes. Obviously, you can tell probably that I'm calling in here, so we're still in quarantine for this one. Yes, of course. So, uh, we are in the studio, me uh, looking inside the window, hitting that rest <laughs> I've got Devin is in the, uh, the Kung Fu training facility uh, uh, uptown <laughs> trying to learn. He wants to join my army, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My uh, kung fu skills are equal to Dolomite, <laughs> as are uh, uh, only surpassed by Fat Star Wars Kid. By the way, who <laughs> is... we could definitely we could definitely edit together a great Dolomite Fat Star Wars Kid fight. But I'm really itching to jump <laughs> jump in the gun uh, to get into Dolomite here. 
For sure, for sure. And also, of course, we'll be talking this movie, too, and other things this Friday night in our weekly Geeked Up Zoom Room party. Yes. Uh, I'll be uh, putting the uh, code to get in and the link to get in on our Facebook page. And if you don't follow us on Facebook, you can always email us uh, for the code at the Geeked Up Podcast at gmail.com. That's the Geeked Up Podcast. Got to put that the in there, of course, at Gmail. Yeah. And I guess this is one that um, a lot of people ask us how we've not been watching this film. But, um, you know, because it seems like something we would definitely cover. And <laughs> Yeah, how did this one not get a golden ticket before quarantine has definitely, definitely come up? As people, as people were sure. actually clamoring for it in last week's Zoom Room, as a matter of fact. However, and we were uh, uh, excited to tell everybody that we were actually ready to record. And since then, I've actually heard from a couple different people who've already watched it in preparation for this uh, upcoming week's Zoom room. So definitely. Yeah, a couple people in Ireland. Yeah, for sure. So people definitely excited, not only for the Zoom room, of course, but for Dolomite uh, in general. Getting lots of Netflix and chat buzz here. Absolutely, and you can kind of say that this one is is a huge one too because it's kind of like I don't want to say the return of Eddie Murphy, but it's definitely I'm going to I guess I am going to say it, the return of Eddie Murphy. You know, he had a big <laughs> year of uh, hosting the Christmas special on SNL for sure, and then coming out with like a movie, like an Eddie Murphy kind of back to basics movie. This is the first, I guess, without giving away the guess of the IMDb breakdown, but this is the first R-rated movie. Eddie Murphy has made in almost 20 years. The last R-rated movie he made was Light in 1999, if you can believe that. Wow. Yeah, I would not have guessed that. I mean, you definitely know, kind of, you just get the sense from Eddie Murphy's recent career that he definitely flipped more into family-friendly stuff over the last, like, decade or so, you know? Mm -hmm. But I would not have guessed it's been all the way back to 99 since life for an R-rated film. For an R-rated, because even then, he, I think, even after that, he was making the Nutty Professor movies, but those aren't rated R. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he's doing the voice on Shrek. Of course, but, he I mean, has had lots of like franchise stuff. But even in general, he kind of ha- has went away for the last, you know, ten years. Because really, he was extremely active for you know through the two thousands with the franchise stuff, and of course through the nineties. And Eddie Murphy's a very interesting character for me and uh, Devin, as we always love to get into. Uh, we're kids from the nineties. And uh, this is always like a big generation gap that seems to come up. But we grew up, even last week, I think we were talking about it with Robin Williams. But we grew up in like the world of post-Eddie Murphy famous. So for me and you, I'd say, like our Eddie Murphy go-to, based on our lives, would probably be Nutty Professor anyway. Then, of course, you get into the back catalog. But like that was our first experience with Eddie Murphy, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I can't argue that because it's not like I was really, as a kid, watching like 48 Hours yeah. or Coming to America until I was like much older. For sure. Or even the SNL stuff, like you mentioned. Like, that's not our era of SNL, where I guess is really where it all started for Eddie Murphy. And I do have like a, a, a Eddie Murphy, uh, and I've actually got a, a little uh, Eddie Murphy IMDb list as I like to do here, as we like to do here on the show. So I've got kind of the highlight reel for his IMDb. But he really, I guess, was most known in a lot of ways for really, like, saving SNL in the early 80s, you know? For sure. 
And, I mean, and that's one of the things kind of like what you're saying is it's before our time of, uh, you know, like a lot of people, even the SNL that we've been watching. Yeah, the class, like, like uh, our SNL class is the Farley Sandler years, not the, absolutely. not the Murphy Piscopo years. A couple of interesting things about Eddie Murphy on SNL, too, is Eddie Murphy on SNL, if I'm not mistaken, was during the time when Lauren Michaels wasn't doing the show. There oh, was that brief time where he walked away. So uh, Lauren Michaels doesn't really have an Eddie Murphy grab. Also, an interesting thing about Eddie Murphy uh, being on at Saturday Night Live is he's the only cast member that hosted the show, was the host, while still in the cast. Wow, that's a great trivia yeah. fact that I didn't know. And apparently the whole cast fucking hated it. Interesting. So they just like, he was, because I'm going to get into a little bit here, but he was like, throughout his uh, couple years while on SNL, he was making some pretty big hit movies as well, which is kind of, you know, mm-hmm. they usually wait till after they leave the cast. But you know what? I never put it to two and two together. You make a great point there as well, that for such an infamous SNL cast member, none of his movies are all associated with, like SNL productions, which even you know Correct. Sandler, who like you know uh, Lauren Michaels didn't necessarily produce those like Wayne's World style. There, he's still yeah. very much associated. Those are all SNL cast members in the movies and all that kind of stuff. Like he uh, SNL, uh, 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 sorry, Eddie Murphy's movies are like totally separate, but. I guess Absolutely. just to uh, case yeah. in point for what we're talking about, but he uh, uh, came on the scene as well in SNL, the big like you know world's most famous uh, fun fact. But 19 years old when he uh, emerged on SNL in 1980. All right, and let's just talk about this decade. I'm just gonna run through you the domination of Eddie Murphy in the 80s. Legendary, you know, SNL cast member uh, uh, as well. Then uh, came on the scene first movie like uh, Devin said, 48 Hours, all time classic. Trading Places, Beverly Hills mm-hmm. Cop. All right, those are all while still in the SNL cast. All right, uh, between '84, he's already made, uh, been in the cast, already done uh, 48 Hours Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop, then Beverly Hills Cop Two, Coming to America, uh, Harlem Nights, and the 48 Hours uh, sequel, another 48. All in the 80s, uh, as well as, of course, Delirious and Raw, two of, like, the all-time most famous comedy albums. For sure. So, I mean, just right there, like, talk about dominating a decade. Just, like, uh, uh, epic SNL cast member, two classic comedy specials. And like you said, even while still on SNL, all those movies, at least three of those movies he made while still on SNL, were uh, huge hits. It wasn't like they were rigged big. 48 Hours, Trading Places, and Beverly Hills Cop were all huge, huge hits. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, so that yeah, takes you through. So coming into down. the 90s, he's like all-time, you know, he's uh, uh, an, an all-time, literally an all-time run in comedy anyway. Like, you can't have a better 10-year uh, span. All right, then for the 90s, all right, uh, uh, we had a Boomerang, uh, a Vampire in Brooklyn, of course, Nutty Professor, Metro, which I believe is that with, uh, who's that fucking New York, uh, uh, the ginger from New York, so he's talking about the Beastie oh, Boys. Yeah, Rappaport, exactly. Uh, is that was Metro? Is that with uh, is that Eddie Murphy and Rappaport? I believe I, I I remember liking Metro in the late '90s. I forgot about Metro, man. I forgot all about that movie. 
I think I, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure Rappaport's in that one. Uh, then Doctor Doolittle by '98. Doctor Doolittle, so another kind of more family franchise, uh, fr- family friendly, what turned into a franchise. Uh, Holy uh-huh. Man, Life. Uh, like Devin said, uh, 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 Bowfinger, which was a decent one. Nutty Professor 2, another hit. So for the 90s, you know, not bad. Not, you know, nothing classic like the 80s, but a pretty respectable decade by most movie stars' careers. Well, you know? I would even say a big one you left out in the 90s just because kind of putting a nod to what his future holds, but in voice acting-wise. I mean, Mulan was a Disney movie that was huge that he did a voice in that movie. Okay, you know great I mean? call. Before he was even Donkey and Shrek in the 2000s, he was still do- already kind of doing voice work and getting that yes. cartoon money as Mushu in the Mulan movie. Okay, great call. And uh, and you can just see where the dire- the career is heading from, like you know, super you know, raw and delirious, uh, uh, super hardcore comedy albums uh, uh, to the '90s, starting to go more family friendly, you know, Nutty Professor, Disney voiceovers, uh, uh, all that kind of stuff. So then, leading into the 2000s, where he really kind of then takes over with all of the Shrek movies, the Doctor Doolittle two, Pluto Nash is another one, Daddy Daycare. A Norbit mm-hmm. and other like family smash, even Dream Girls, which was you know a more uh, a- a Oscar bait for Eddie Murphy. He actually won the Golden Globes for Best Supporting Actor in that one, uh, uh, losing out to Alan Arkin in the uh, uh, Oscars. <laughs> upon my research for Little Miss Sunshine, but uh, so you know, uh, uh, not exactly family. You know, you know, not exactly a kids movie there. But definitely much more mainstream, you know, uh, relatable role, big big time role for Eddie Murphy. Exactly, it's not that uh, Eddie Murphy like comedy slaps that you'd uh, got to know from the eighties and nineties. For sure, but still extremely successful. I mean, we're talking right now. I've just ran through very easily, ran through, and then of course we have Shrek's two and three uh, uh, throughout. You know, so you get to two thousand and seven, and all of a sudden we've ran through like thirty years of you know top notch fame and relevancy for Eddie Murphy. And then uh, that's pretty much kind of, though, where it taps out for me uh, uh, for Eddie Murphy, I'd say, is really the first since Dreamgirls is this movie. I guess uh, he has, you know, uh, uh, made a couple of movies over the last couple years. But really, you know, compared to like 30 consecutive years of uh, uh, hard work, he's really taken the last decade, you know, uh, uh, taken 10 years off for uh, so to speak here for sure yeah it's one of those things like again like this movie is kind of everyone was saying it was like Eddie Murphy's big comeback his SNL thing Dolomite I mean and SNL was for Dolomite but to see him on SNL like doing comedy again is one of those big rumored things too and there's kind of hints around that uh, well there's yeah, Eddie Murphy's kind of said about but will Eddie Murphy go back into comedy well there's already I guess that- the rumors have been solved as I'll get into now but there's definitely Eddie Murphy's return to the scene because as well in production right now I'm not sure if you know potentially delayed by the whole uh, coronavirus situation now as of course but scheduled for release within the next years as as well are the big coming to america sequel all right coming mm-hmm. to america uh, as well as a fourth installment and a reboot of the beverly hills cop franchise so probably two yeah, of eddie murphy's fair. most like famous roles uh you know getting revised so like poised for a huge breakout 
you know, a comeback, I don't want to say breakout, but a huge comeback for Eddie Murphy, who, sure. based upon Dolomite, still has a lot of great years left in the tank. Absolutely, man. And I haven't even met sure that there's also the rumor, and he's kind of talking about it, too, that there's the rumor that he might do another stand-up special. Just talking about how Raw and Delirious are like yes. two of like the biggest all-time comedy hits. For sure. There's also rumors. He's mentioned it on, uh, he was on uh, Comedians and Cars Drinking Coffee. He's mentioned it on that. I've heard Jimmy Fox mention in interviews that him and Eddie Murphy's talked about him returning to stand-up. Wow. Would be really interesting. Yeah, I think he has... I think he has done some spots at the cellar in you know recent years. I've heard I've you know I've heard of him doing guest spots and all sorts of stuff, or maybe in L.A. But uh, like I have heard him you know return to stage you know doing uh, stand up guest spots and stuff in recent years. So for sure, absolutely, man. And I guess that was uh, just kind of the list, the IMDb list there of some of his bangers. But to get in the uh, I guess IMDb breakdown of this one give you some of IMDb's stats on this movie, like I always do before we get into it. Uh, this movie came out in uh, October 25th, 2019, uh, so pretty recent, under a year old. Yes. Uh, Dolomite is my name. It's rated, I kind of ruined it, I'd make Liam guess here, but it's rated R. Okay, yes. Um, I probably would have definitely, a- if you, you normally make me guess, I would have definitely gone TVMA upon a guess, upon a, a blind Netflix guess. Uh, as well, another reason why I would have done that as well, we'll just talk about it quick, but it was like a very much of a, a Netflix production, you know what I mean? Like you heard about it through Netflix. For sure. Who's been going TVMA so, on us ever since the beginning, so. Yeah, so this puts our whole uh, TVMA R-rated thing in total upside down. We don't, we don't know how they're rating it. Yeah, because this was definitely never like where our theories normally, if it, if they're planning on maybe releasing it in a, in mm. theaters or if it was maybe, you know, bought by Netflix and made somewhere else maybe. In a, but this one, uh, yeah, like you said, throws everything, everything we've known about Sarandos out the window. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's. Regularly, I mean, it's, it's categorized as a biography, comedy, drama. Uh, I don't get where the drama aspect of it comes <laughs> in. There was never a point in this movie where I was like, oh, no, poor Rudy Ray Moore. <laughs> I know. Uh, I guess to give you uh, the IMDb's breakdown of it, uh, Eddie Murphy portrays real-life legend Rudy Ray Moore, a comedy and rap pioneer who proved naysayers wrong with his hilarious, obscene, kung fu fighting, alter ego, dolomite became a 1970s black exploitation phenomenon. Yeah. It was... I mean, uh, uh, yeah, a did. biopic of Dude from Dolomite is really enough said, I guess, but... And something that's in the description, too, we'll get into later, because it even says it at the end of the movie, but right there it says Rap Pioneer. Yeah. I totally didn't even, like, put that together. That Can way. we just oh, get yeah, into that, though, doing... real quick? I mean... Uh, 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 am I not ready? Uh, am I the only one that's not ready to give Dolomite uh, credit for the start of the beginning of rap? Like, I'm sure other assholes would have uh, uh, rhymed, uh, pulled off the rhymes over beats thing. It's a fucking. It's it's kind of a, a basis of music. If Dolomite didn't know, but you know, it's, he's not sure, the first person to rhyme over it. over music before. How did exactly Dolomite start this shit? Yeah, I think he's more of the uh, godfather of, like, death poetry slam. <laughs> he's more the godfather of Andrew Dice Clay in my book. But, like, yeah, death poetry <laughs> well, slam, yeah, something like that. Well, he was before uh, Andrew Dice Clay. 
That's what I'm saying. But like, that's what he kind of was. He would do like, like nursery rhyme, like dirty nursery rhymes. You know, I, so I guess that's what rap like is. That. But it's just like, like they really make a big essence. And we'll get into it. And I guess we can kind of even just start off as one of the talking points. But that is like, and there's kind of a line that goes on in this movie, much like Dolomite. Where you're not sure how much is a joke or like being exaggerated for comedic purposes. So I kind of thought <laughs> when they threw that at the end, like I, I was like, oh, do- old Dolomite, like claiming to be too great again. But like they're really hammering home the fact that Dolomite is the godfather of rap. It's like, and then Biggie, and the next thing you know, there was Biggie and Tupac. I'm like, it's a couple I generations in between there. there but... like... Run DMC and Rick Ross, I think, would be the next. I'll give the fat boys the bad news that, uh... (laughs) KRS-One. Yeah, but... But I guess, uh, break down the cast. Uh, It was directed by uh, Craig Brewer, who I guess you would mostly know from... He directed Hustle and Slow, which was the, uh... The movie about like the southern rapper. It was fictional, but yeah, yeah. And he's like, what can I say? He's a white guy that loves rap. <laughs> oh, I didn't even—I didn't think he was a white guy. You're uh, really, really blowing my mind with that one. <laughs> so this movie, the the, the whole biopic about the uh, beloved production of Dolomite is brought to us by a white guy. All right. All right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I just give you a quick cast breakdown, so it takes me forever to hit out all of them, but. Eddie Murphy in there playing Rudy Ray Moore, uh, Keegan Michael Keyes playing Jerry, Mike said Jimmy, Craig Robinson is Ben, and this is running through. You know, you got Snoop Dogg in there, T.I., Wesley Snipes, Chris Rock, uh, huge cast list in this one. Yeah, board. lots of cameos from uh, rather significant faces for sure. I uh, was waiting for Tracy Morgan at any point this week. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot. I mean, anybody, all hands on deck. Kay Hart, I was surprised. I guess that's kind of where one of, uh, as I've been saying, I've been dying to, I've been itching to get into it. But uh, I guess one of my main, uh, thi- one of my first talking points I wanted to get into about this movie, and I guess we've kind of already uh, given a couple things in reference to it as well, but another thing I wanted to mention earlier about how one of the reasons why we didn't give it a golden tip when it came out was because we gave another golden ticket around that time you said october uh, uh we were given a golden ticket to the irishman in the early november okay and in a lot of ways this movie reminded me a lot of the irishman with kind of like the return of eddie murphy a la pesci in some ways and just like the whole gang getting back together the fun of eddie murphy and comedy and then like the whole star-studded cast feel where it felt like for lack of a better term but like the black irishman going on with just like the all the faces you know throwback for eddie murphy and much like uh, the Irishman, there wasn't one Irish guy in this movie yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it came to us from a white guy, much like the Italian making uh, uh, the Irishman. You could even classify this as like the ultimate Netflix movie because yeah, it has like it's like you know you said the black Irishman, but it also is just like so uh, similar to a lot of the other movies we've watched. Like you could also call this kind of like. The futile and stupid gesture, you know what I mean? Yes, definitely. I mean, for sure. That's definitely the one that it's most similar to. 
which was, uh, of course, if you didn't catch that episode, that was the story of the National Lampoon's guys and a pretty detailed account to them making, you know, Caddyshack uh, uh, above, uh, you know, as well as a lot of the other productions from them. It was like really about that process. Very similar to this one. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm even going to throw another uh, one at you, but uh, how about Tiger King? Was this guy not fucking Joe Exotic, minus, like, the atrocities <laughs> to animals? <laughs> but definitely, like, in all honesty, like, the tale of a delusional asshole. And, like, except this guy kind of hit a, like hit the ball out of the park, as opposed to these swings and misses that usually happen with these maniacs. But... <laughs> For sure. Even so much the scene where, uh, what, the guy Titus, uh, Burgess, who's plays Tony, is listening to a Red Fox album. He's like, oh, come on, man. I used to work with Red Fox. He ain't shit. <laughs> no, you fucking, no, you didn't. Yeah, seriously. There were so many. I mean, just the whole teaching himself karate and all of that stuff. And there there were so many <laughs> Joe Exotic movies. When, like, after the first take, he turns around like, man, when can we watch this? This is fun. Like, like <laughs> yeah, at the amount of times I say, fucking Joe Exotic, there it is. Absolutely, absolutely. That's such a good call. Yeah, I know Kung Fu. And you're right. With the, the hilarious white guys, like, oh, I always just play evil white people. Does <laughs> that great take. He's like, this is going to be a great movie. I can't wait to watch this. <laughs> yeah, dude. So true. I'll even give you uh, one more and say, uh, just to make this the ultimate Netflix movie, and say it's like Spencer Confidential, whereas this is a nod to the 70s Dolomite movie. Yeah. Uh, Spencer Confidential was a remake of all those <laughs> shitty 80s. <laughs> TV yeah. movies and TV shows. Spend no, exactly. That was like the remake of one of, and that was very much like we talked about it. Like Dolo, like the, like these black exploitation kind of Dolomite movies were those like cheesy buddy cop kind of genre, and that's exactly what Spencer Confidential was a remake of. This is kind of like the biopic of one of those. But you're right, yeah, another another like seventies. Uh, or uh, 80s, another like old nostalgic TV movie, you know, the geeked up from the geeked up Hall of Fame. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really is a match. Uh, I mean, it's just too bad they didn't go to a rave or wasn't sent in uh, uh, medieval Scotland. And we really would have had a, <laughs> I know, <seriously. laughs> a match here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we have uh, uh, the, it was the star-studded cast, much like War Machine, <laughs> Brad Pitt and Eddie Murphy, and uh, you know Hollywood, Hollywood who's who attached to the project. But <laughs> absolutely. But you heard uh, IMDb's uh, breakdown of it. And I guess it's time to give you our plot breakdown of Dolomite is my name. Because that's Fucking why you got Motherfuckers game. is my game. To hear the show, so here we go. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to get the biggie, actually, now that, uh, now that I mention it. Take back what I said. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, you know, I mean, speaking of rappers, it starts with uh, Eddie Murphy or, you know, Rudy Ray Moore trying to uh, get DJ Snoop Dogg to uh, play one of his records on the radio show, which uh, now you think, though, not a comedy record. He wants him to play one of his old R&B hits, because that's how he got his start. Yes. Uh, uh, or, so you know yeah. you're in good hands, right? When Snoop Dogg's in the first scene, I'm like, fuck yeah. Love the direction yeah. this is heading. They're like full in like full Rasta wig. In, like if that's not yeah, Snoop's Snoop real Lion. hair these days. <laughs> but like his Snoop Lion persona. <laughs> yeah. But uh 
Yeah, definitely in good hands there. And then second scene, Craig Robinson. I'm like, all right, here we go. The, the hit parade continues. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, but yeah, I guess they do kind of establish uh, at this point that old Rudy Ray Moore is like working at a record store that has a radio station in it, I guess. Yeah, okay, and... yeah. I was going to ask you that too. <laughs> was there a time where like radio stations were uh, broadcasted out of record stores? I mean, it does kind of make sense. Like there was definitely a time where radio stations were all very independently owned so and like operated in in uh, much more independent fashions so it makes sense back in the day that like a radio st- a record store where they were also like actually literally like playing records over the air you know what i mean like so it makes sense mm-hmm. that they'd already have all the shit so but i i don't know that as like a thing of pop culture but i'm sure it exists you know that is one yeah, of the I things mean, that we'll get into it's like up. you can't necessarily take this movie like the word of gospel but it is supposed to be like, you know, the uh, account of his life. So I imagine he really was working at a record store at that point. You know what I mean? Like, but... Oh, for sure. And, yeah, like you said, too, even, like, uh, I'm sure there's some uh, cinematic liberties taken for this movie. Like, even in a futile, stupid gesture, they pull you that whole scroll of, like, how everything really happened <laughs> yeah, versus yeah. what's happening in the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, so then at this point, so not only though, however, is he not only like working at this record shop part time, but he is kind of at this point like a, uh, uh, struggling, like variety show kind of lounge singer, comedian, Sammy Davis Jr. style, you know, probably more like 60s comedian, however, in the early 70s, you know, so. For sure. He's definitely the MC of a nightclub, you know, bringing on the acts, doing a little comedy uh you know from the uh, judging of the audience not too successful you know definitely very dated you know he's doing like uh uh stuff that was that would not be uh, a hipper edgy for for the crowd you were you know correct and like you said he's opening for like uh craig robinson's band to like crowds really there to see he's giving the uh, club owner shit about how come his name's not on the marquee the uh you're the opener. No one's here to see you. And <laughs> yeah. then uh, kind of cut back to the record store they're working, and there's a homeless dude coming in. And the homeless guy uh, comes in, and he tells all his, like, funny jokes. They're throwing them out, but his jokes are all, like, rhyme, and he's got these funny things. I think he's even at one point telling the story of Dolomite. Yes, he does. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because is Dolomite, I think Dolomite is the biggest hack in the world. Yeah. I mean, well, I guess we'll get into that right now, but that is like a main whole part of this movie is that, yeah, they, they go to kick out this bum Rico, but and, and as he's coming in, he's doing his shtick, which is like, you know, just the crazy rantings of a homeless guy. However, this one happens to be hilarious with all sorts of off-color, like yeah. I said, Andrew Dice Clay style, you know what I mean. Like, I was a lion and a seal. You know I'm fucking real. Like, just do stupid <laughs> shit like that that was killer in the 70s for some reason. No, absolutely. And he's even telling his buddies at the diner, he was like, man, look, if someone took those jokes and polished them up, they, these would be hits. These would actually be pretty funny. Yes. And then he goes to, like, bum alley. And his main boys, by the way, is, like, his posse they establish in the movie is Mike Epps, Craig Robinson, 
and uh, uh, Titus Burgess. And Titus Burgess, yes. Those are like the four, his four buddies that are mainly that he hangs out with throughout the the movie. You know. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yes, then you're right. Then he like literally goes to Bum Alley, like you said. Yeah, pays him like a total of nine dollars, and just like records all these homeless <laughs> guys telling rhyming jokes, and really genius. I, I mean, it's in our geeked up theme song, but Lehman and I have both done stand up, and it's uh. What an idea. I mean, I've heard some homeless people say some hilarious shit. Like, why have I not thought of this? I know. It's, it was basically like when we got Ron the Waiter in here for a podcast, though. It was <laughs> trying to contain the ramblings of a uh, utter nut job. Was, <laughs> you're going to find, you're gonna need to uh, run them through the fine tooth comb. But they're in there. They're, they're <laughs> yeah. Surely they're in there. So sure. he, uh, I can say he does exactly that. He uh, polishes, he takes all these homeless guys' hilarious jokes. And literally including, like, the story of Dolomite, where I guess Dolomite, yeah. which I, I haven't yeah. really looked into it, I guess, but I guess that is, like, an urban folklore character or something like that, because it was not, like, he did not take these stories and then come up with this character based upon them. He literally just went on stage and fucking, like, he didn't, he actually didn't run them through a fine-tooth comb. He literally just went on and regurgitated them word for word. Like you know, he just added a, a like no. a, a cla- like a nice suit and a wig, <laughs> you know, exactly. and had teeth. He just, like, made a character out of an already established character. Yeah. He wasn't on crack, and then, other than that, it was the same fucking thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, he put on a pimp suit and a uh, afro wig, and he uh, changes and does a character now instead of just being himself. He does like an on stage character. Crowd goes fucking bonkers. Classic movie thing, too, where he tells the drummer, like, don't give me the rim shot. Like, give me something jazzy. And then the whole band just comes on and, like, plays some perfectly tuned song <laughs> just for him. Like, oh, all right, follow my lead. <laughs> They'll just <laughs> give a <laughs> nod <laughs> and then... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he becomes a, uh underground hit around the L.A. area. Wants to make his... uh Wants to make a comedy record. Borrows money from his aunt. And, uh... You know, nobody's going to help him. No yeah. studios. A lot of classic, from. like, independent produced movie tropes, like Devin said. A lot of, you know, cuts to uh, crusty white people giving him the cold shoulder. And, you know, people <laughs> yeah, telling yeah. him that he'll never be able to do it. And all sorts of uh, the proverbial doors slammed in his face. From, like, his apartment. His live album is, like, from oh, his yes. living room in his apartment. <laughs> which was amazing. It actually looks pretty awesome, which is hilariously, like, there's shows like that now in Brooklyn. Like, they hit the comic shows. Like, we do it in my friend's living room. Yeah. And honestly, I've talked about it before. We've, we've talked about it before. Uh, in this post-Coronaville world, I honestly believe that in the bar and restaurant world, it's going to really go a lot more to the private club kind of way. And if there is not you know, if there's not clubs and stuff, people are going to be, you know, hiring private entertainment to do party, private parties and stuff that aren't regulated. There's going to be a lot. There already is like an underground scene like that in New York City, but that's going to be the next thing. And there are going to be lots of those kind of really cool underground shows uh, uh, happening on private locations. No, and I agree with you. And too, Dolomite you know, if you want style. The Geeked Up Boys to uh, come do a live show in your living <laughs> yeah. room. Email us at the Geeked Up Podcast at <laughs> That always reminds me of a great though uh, Brian Regan story. The great comedian Brian Regan told mm-hmm. a story about when he was starting off in comedy. He recorded a, like a, a live thing at uh, uh, like a live CD at his house. But without an audience or anything, just like his one friend like laughing, like he 
didn't even like try to make it a uh, a professional thing, and that was his first tape that he sent out. And then like a couple of shady comedy like comedy club owners just who obviously didn't listen to it would just call him up and be like, "Hey, heard your tape, love it. Can you come down and do some time?" And he just like told the story about laughing about how his first comedy like demo tape was something that like he just recorded in front of like in his living room in front of his one friend in 1985, and then fucking started sending it out. But so it it, it, it happened, you know. It was uh, so Dolomite Brian wasn't Reagan alone. And, uh... Brian Regan and Rudy Raymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and next up, happen. me and Devin. If you're, uh, add us to the <laughs> list. If you're, that's right. But uh, so yeah, he does that. He records his own uh, record in his house, and no, um, no record companies want to produce it, put it out for him, uh, sell it for him. And in all honesty, I can't blame these record executives. <laughs> it's just like, wait a minute, this is this is just you saying dirty fucking rhymes in some asshole's living room? Like, I'm not selling this shit. What are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so he kind of starts self-selling. Um, you know, he's selling records out of the record store himself. He's selling on the back of his car. Even in the Joe Exotic uh, aspect of it, too, there's a scene where he's like, we got ashtrays and uh, something else, too, that he's <laughs> yeah. selling. No, he definitely would have performed at a Mickey D's if, if need be. He's, he's not above performing at a Mickey D's Joe yeah, Exotic me. style. If, uh, Rudy could have got his hands on a uh, tiger. I think uh, <laughs> he wouldn't have said no. Yeah, exactly. But uh, these records make a huge splash. Uh, and finally, a record company uh, hears about it. They decide to like start putting them out for him. He makes the billboard charts. They want to start coming out with a bunch of more albums uh, and all hilarious. Like all just like the, the album covers are just like hilariously nude. Him being nude with yeah. like other nude women. I think uh, the first one was titled Eat Out More Often with like a naked yeah. chick with fucking like fruit over her bush or something like that. But it was yeah, uh, exactly. that was the one that I remembered. But they were all in the similar ilk of hilarious, dirty innuendo. You know what I liked about this film, too, dude, is it just, there wasn't, like, that was just a real quick thing. They're like, all right, we're going to have her do this. He's like, oh, we already had some ideas. There wasn't a whole 20-minute scene about, like, the record exactly. Like, you can't do that. What are you, crazy? They're just like, all right, fucking looks good to me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's going to be selling this shit anyway. I mean, why not? It's uh, We're going to be selling it out of the trunk of my car for uh, forever, so. So he makes a bunch of records. He's doing pretty hot right now. He pays his aunt back, you know, treating all his friends. Him and all of his buddies go, decide to go see a movie. It's their Christmas uh, tradition, they say. Uh, <laughs> someone wants to go see uh, a Shafts movie, I believe. Somebody else wants to see something else. He wants to go see this, because uh, everybody says it's a hit, this Walter Matthau, uh, this Walter Matthau movie. Yes. In and another George scene Leonard. that was straight out of uh, Stupid and Futile Gesture, by the way, where they go see Airplane, it was the same thing. He walked out of the theater <laughs> yeah. like, God damn. I guess it was a little different result. Well, at but... least in uh, Futile Stupid Gesture, he was like, Airplane was so goddamn hilarious. Yeah, yeah. This is going to hurt me. It was like this the opposite was, like, movie, movie, but it was the same kind of scene where they were like, you know, they went to the they went to see a popular movie in the movie that you're watching. It's like... And his whole complaint about it, too, was hilarious. Like, there was no cursing. There was no kicks. There was no kung fu. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was a Walter Matthau, Jack Lemmon, this idiot was showing up <laughs> expecting kung fu and titties <laughs> from fucking Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I definitely want to find out what movie that was, by the way. I'm going to do the Saturday night uh, a taste test this week, and I'm going to try to watch Dolomite and that other movie and see which one. Where do I fall as a 37-year-old I white guy? I think it's called Front Page, if I'm not Okay, mistaken. was that Front Page? Yes, that... that uh... I believe it was. All right, nice. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to see for myself... Where do I? It's it's a sociological experiment you can play at home. Are, are you a Dol- are you a Rudy Ray Moore or a Jack Lemon? What are you? Uh... <laughs> I mean, I kind of walk away from every movie like that. Like no come through, no cursing, no kids. What, uh, what are we doing here? I know. Step it up, passion of the crazy. I mean, it, it's Christmas. What the fuck? Like, you go to see a Christmas movie, you expect some kung fu and titties. Like, <laughs> I mean, honestly, with uh, December movies are traditionally the R-rated ones. So all the kids, you know, yeah, all the PG movies come out during the summer. Yeah, the summer. I digress. He sees this movie and he was like, you know what? We got to make a Dolomite movie. Uh, the character's big enough. Everyone loves them. Uh, let's do this. I've uh, made enough money from. Uh, these records a bit. Uh, my record company will help me. We'll finance some of it. Yeah, these shady and Albanians are totally willing to take the back end of all of my future earnings for a, a small exactly. advance now. They, tell so. them that. <laughs> they also, actually like, weren't shady, though. They were it. actually portrayed pretty well by record executive uh, standards. They were actually portrayed like uh, outside of the sleazy Albanian accents, which threw me off. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I'm sorry. I was expecting them to at some point do something horrible. But uh, uh, they were yeah, actually no, portrayed pretty t- well. You're 100% right. They don't, like, trick him into owning their, his record. They, like, give him a fair heads up. They're like, dude, we'll do this for you, man. Yeah. But, you know. Just like, so you know, my friend, this is like, horrible business decision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. They did have that shady feel that they were going to rip him off and just, like, we're really nice stand-up guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> but uh, he decides to... Uh, Self-finance this movie. The one studio won't make it. T.I. is like the studio head. Uh, great line. Too. That like, was T.I. Oh, for sure. Yes. Okay. And he was like, we've got this great movie coming out now. He's like, the days of Shaft and like Blackula are over. We're making this great movie about uh, this young kid from the ghetto being the first of his like friends to make it to college. Doesn't that sound great? He's like, man, nobody wants to see that shit. You <laughs> yeah. don't want to see that shit. We want kung fu and titties. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dolomite. I'm definitely a dolomite, not a yeah. TI. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it might be a Walter Matthau. So he, uh, but... he decides to make this movie himself. Uh, he runs into a. Uh, at that point, I guess. Maybe not a huge, famous, famous actor, but uh, he's an actor that's been on screen to uh, Durvel Martin, who's played yes. by Wesley Snipes. So Ooh. in that aspect, too, Wesley Snipes in this movie, to me, was kind of like Ray Liotta in Marriage to Was like, <laughs> hey, look. Yeah. <laughs> that son of a bitch is back. Uh, Snipes? Movie for, Where's he been? Wesley Snipes, too. <laughs> yeah, no, great call. And Snipes was actually great in this movie. In a, a, a guy, like a very flamboyant character that I would, like, I know nothing about, you know, uh, whatever you said the guy's name was. But you have to imagine that that was, like, a pretty accurate portrayal of, like, a f- very flamboyant uh, very flamboyant guy, you know what I mean? I don't want to say, I For don't know sure. if it was accurate, but it was very he, intentional. I know he died young, and I didn't look up, I know he died at, like, 43. Okay, uh, I did not look up exactly how, but I think they did some kind of... In, in you ending of just he has the cocaine pinky 
pinky nail, and he's drinking all the time. So okay. I'm guessing that the real actor yeah. died tragically. You know, no one really dies at 43 for no reason. Mm, yeah. But I guess for him, though, he was like an actor. He was in Rosemary's Baby. You know, even though he was just the elevator attendant, but it yeah. was putting a legitimate actor's face and into he, their movie. I think his character main role was that he held himself very, very serious and dignified, like always dressed mm-hmm. to the nines, and was like a very Englishy, flamboyant, like look down his nose at all of these other. Although he was a fellow brother, he looked down his nose at like the ragtag schleps. And was like held himself as a very like a highly esteemed professional in the biz. Correct. That he's uh, he's already made it in his eyes. One thing that's interesting, though, I guess, just about something you just said, for a movie that was very steeped in you know the whole Dolomite culture, there was an uh, zero drug references outside to the one like allusion uh, uh, to it from Wesley Snipes having that uh, coke nail and like you know sniffling at his nose in one scene. Other than that, he was boozing the whole movie, but that was the only like at all reference or not to cocaine compared to a movie like stupid and futile gesture, which was so over the top, the amount of use of it. I just yeah. felt it was a little bit interesting where it was like, I felt very intentional for maybe Eddie Murphy. That's still trying to keep a little bit of the family kind of appeal. But there was like, they went out of their way. I feel cause there's no way Dolomite wasn't doing that whole fucking, that whole, that whole, that whole cast was fucking blowed up. You know what I mean? Like yeah. 100%. Like there's no way that, uh, uh that, like the use of cocaine would be if you read the book i guarantee you that it would come up with that fucking they were all doing mescaline <laughs> yeah. all day or whatever and you know, that's but, a great point too because i never even caught on to that until now you're mentioning it and yeah there's no drug use in this movie whatsoever yeah i didn't really think about it until wesley snipes made that one allusion to it and even at that point it was like you were expecting you know like and especially just seeing in uh, especially just comparing it to Stupid and Futile Gesture, which we just watched recently, which like I said is a super similar movie. It's a biopic about making a movie in the seventies, and in that movie, like the whole thing is how much blow Chevy Chase is doing. You know what I mean? And so they're kind of they're kind of portraying that Derville Martin is in the same boat, but they never cross that bridge in any detail. No, you're right. They really don't. So just interesting um... there, but. But to get back on track, so they get him to direct. He gets a local, uh, kind of local theater writer, uh, played by Keegan Michael Key, to um, write the movie for him. Yes, which is also hilarious. You know, Very uh, Adam like, Driver in in Marriage Story, as a matter of fact, <laughs> the independent uh, playwright. For sure, and it's just a funny uh, dynamic of like. Them trying to like sit down and keep him on the keys to play Jerry is like, yeah, you're right. We could write this about like what's really going on on the streets, and he's like, fuck yeah. And we could also have kung fu and an exorcism. Yes, a very Joe Exotic writing process. So we're going to want a lot of kung fu. Oh, we got to put an exorcism in there. Uh, We're going to wish shit's going to get blown up. Come on, we got to have bitches with their titties down. I mean, it's a movie for God's sakes. Like. For sure, but he gets all of his friends to like help him make the movie. Of course, Craig Robinson is going to do the soundtrack. Uh, 
Terry Burgess is doing all of the financing. Uh, my <laughs> You're the person that knows more about politics than anyone in my life. You're my uh, political, <laughs> straight from the straight from yeah. the Joe Exotic uh, political appointment, political advisor appointment. <laughs> Dude, I mean, now you can keep pointing this out. This movie actually has a lot of. Uh, yeah, this guy's fucking Joe Exotic. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, no like hilarious uh, ironically enough there's no like hilarious uh, uh tales of criminal you know shenanigans but other than that this guy is fucking joe exotic to a t and it's before the days of webcasts but he would have had a webcast before long before Oh, for sure. That's what they were doing in the uh, record store in the back there, in the DJ booth in the back of the record store. <laughs> we're going to end with the Dolomite version of Hello Kitty on this fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> Here, Kitty Kitty or whatever. Here, Kitty Kitty, we need more Kung Fu and titties. <laughs> but, uh, so him and the guys, they all finally get his uh, ragtag crew together. They finally start making this movie. And again, it kind of does. You know, I guess I'll say the Spencer, Spencer Confidential, this uh, classic movie tropes. It shows like all the, like the cheap ways they're making this movie. They, uh, you know, do it for free in this old hotel that's abandoned. They're stealing electricity from next door. That was uh, very, that was very handily set up, by the way, where all the bums were hanging out. <laughs> like, oh, you know, we just hang across the street from the Fillmore. You know, that was that old classic hotel that used to be used to film productions and now is overrun by uh, uh, bums and junkies now. <laughs> I wonder you know, if that'll come up later. Very, uh... <laughs> yeah. You know, that used to be the epicenter of black entertainment back in the 30s, and now it's, oh, I'm going to keep that in mind for uh, 30 minutes from now. But they uh, make the movie. Uh, he writes in, just one thing to point out the movie, there's uh, the hilarious sex scene where they're all, like, pulling on the lamps and the <laughs> roof caves in and yeah, gets on yeah. fire. Very hilarious. Intentionally hilarious. That scene was unquestionably intentional comedy, you know, which a oh, lot of the sure. movie toes the line. That was like a comedy <laughs> scene. Yeah, I <laughs> agreed, agreed, agreed. And they even showed uh, in the re- at the end, like the real Dolomite clip too. That is like almost on cue, scene for scene, frame for frame, the exact same scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so they finish the movie. Wesley Snipes thinks it's like we said, garbage the whole time. Right when they rap, he's out of there. Eddie Murphy's like, all right, we got a hit on our hands. Let's uh, start shopping this around in movie studios. Nobody's making this fucking. Thing. <laughs> Uh, they do a great one-sided conversation of eddie murphy talking to like a movie Mm -hmm. exec over the phone where he's just like yes yes no that was it was a real movie man everybody got got paid it was well i I, I learned kung fu for the movie yes you know that was her screen debut yes i mean just fucking this guy running the movie down so hard (laughs) um yeah for sure (laughs) Um, so I guess it cuts to the movie doesn't take off he dumps a lot of his money into it so now he has to start kind of going back out on the road and uh, doing stand up again kind of as the Dolomite character back Um, in the clubs he finally has a show in Illinois where uh, Chris Rock is playing Bobby Vale uh, radio DJ and kind of does that thing where it's uh, you know this is pre-internet obviously so you Dolomite already has its cult following of even before the movie, you know what I mean? Like it was like a big hit on record sales. 
Uh, people have heard about the character for his stand-up. So Chris Rock as Bobby Vale as a DJ, you hear rumor of this thing. It's like, dude, I got to ask you, man. Like, there's a rumor out there that you guys made a Dolomite movie. Yes. Is this true? How do we see this thing? Like, you know, and yeah, yeah. he kind of tells them. I like, guess another piece, big yeah, thing I... that would be like a huge factor in this, but it's just kind of the culture of the of the time in the early 70s where there was very little respect for like african-american culture and whatnot and like this is the you know the portrayal in the movie anyway and i feel probably a definite reality but you know it was like definitely like the white controlled uh media and hollywood so if you were you know if you had a big underground african-american following or urban following you weren't going to get the benefactor or people didn't necessarily respect that or look at that which is where dolomite obviously had this huge urban following but that was very much like an untapped uncredited market in 1973 you know for sure for sure absolutely so that's like a huge theme of the movie you know that they come directly at you with at times and at times it's just very implied that you know what i mean like underground african-american culture in 1973 is just not gonna get its fair shake you know yeah, and especially too. So if you're like a, such like a fan of this, and like you're saying, is this underground, just like cultural thing? If you catch wind that there might be a movie somewhere out there, it's like, dude, how do we see this thing? Like, yeah, come yeah. on now, like that's crazy. And uh, you know, he kind of doesn't tell him because there's really no release date. And then Chris Rock kind of like pulls him aside and he's like, come on, man, what the fuck? I'm trying to give you free advertising here, and then puts him in touch with a, uh, I think his cousin who runs like a midnight movie show. Yep. And like, it they're like playing harder. They come on Saturdays, which I guess teaser alert will get into. One of the all-time great midnight movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so he kind of tells him, "I'll give you the midnight movie slot for five hundred bucks." And he's like, "All right, cool. Like, you're gonna give me five hundred bucks?" He's like, "No, you're gonna pay me five hundred bucks to show you your fucking shit movie, <laughs> and you get all the ticket sales. So if you sell out, you know you'll make a lot of money." So in classic uh, Rudy Ray Moore fashion, he goes out there and puts in the hard work, advertises the hell out of it, and uh, sure enough, it's a lot of some Back to the Future style uh, uh, with the megaphone out the car window marketing. Most <laughs> 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 mega equipment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and sure enough, the movie he advertises the hell of it, and you know, and again, people know these albums, the Dolomite albums. So people show up. It's a hit. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, um, uh, you know, now. And that was even one of the I'll, things that they said, because this is in Indiana, mind you. And one of the executives mm-hmm. are just like, yeah, we don't make records for the five, you know, for like the five blocks in your neighborhood that like this, sh- that like your shit. And Dolomite says like, hey, every city in America has those same five blocks that I'm huge on. You know what I mean? So this kind of exactly. points to that, that like in the middle of Indiana, he's selling out midnight movies, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then cuts to uh, uncredited role, by the way, by Bob Odenkirk as a uh, <laughs> movie studio exec. Yeah, uncredited. He's like, it's not the credits for this movie. Okay, wow. Um, uh, they look it up and they realize that this is the number one hit, number one selling ticket for this movie theater. They never sold more tickets. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess at this point, now. Dolomite starts doing it with other theaters as well. You know, like outside of this one in Indiana, he takes that show on the road a little bit himself, you know. Oh, really? I, didn't, I don't know if I caught that or not. 
Yeah, I think that's what they win because I think they give a couple of different numbers throughout the, the the thing. And then when Dolomite came in there, he's just like, "I'm doing pretty good myself now." You know, I think he found like a little bit that he can make a little bit of scratch doing it show by show, week by week, movie theater by movie theater, you know, and was having a little success gotcha. doing that, but. Uh, Dimension Visions or whatever the Odenkirk Studios could, you know, expedite the whole process. That kind of went right over my head. <laughs> I just thought, like, man, that really noise crowd. You know, yeah, that Indiana crowd was a. <laughs> you know, I think he was going to like different movie theaters. That's why, like, the the, the guy, uh, he was like, you can keep on doing this for the next five years and hit every theater in America, but or, or like we can do it. Dude, for imagine you. how great that would be too. Like, because I guess we'll say he sells the movie to the studio. They're going to uh, put it out, you know, like nationwide. It's going to be finally like mass distribution. Imagine that, like nowadays, dude, of just being like, oh no, dude, I saw. Uh, Avengers, when uh, before it was like a major thing, they were only showing a couple of seats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, in all honesty, that really right is now, how movie. it works with indie movies, you know? Like, especially being here no, in New York, sure. we get to see tons of movies months before they come out to streaming or whatnot, or even, you know, years before they're uh, released wide in, you know, nationwide movie theaters or in streaming or whatnot, so. Like, it probably is a pretty, like, a lot of independent uh, film releases probably still, to this day, a similar, you know, similar business and industry, in all honesty. For sure. Um, So then I guess cut to uh, Eddie Murphy's back with the original gang, and they're all in a limousine, they're heading to the big premiere, and on the way to the premiere, like any classic noob to Hollywood, they start reading the movie reviews, and oh boy, (laughs) they're, uh... Not sounding too good. <laughs> yeah. Shockingly know? enough, the critics didn't. Uh, the same critics that gave a zero percent to Ridiculous Six, mind you. <laughs> yeah, shocker. Roger Ebert didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but he makes a good point too, and I thought that he was like, "Look, dude, even if there's five people there, like we've already done it, we made it." Like, because yeah, they never really say how much money he uh, got from giving it to the record execs or the uh, studio execs, but I mean, I'm sure it's a good penny. Yeah, and he was like, "Look, even if there's five people there, you know, fuck it." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, for sure. We did it. We made a movie. We're all good. But sure we enough, made the mo- we, made, we made the most hilarious, uh, worst production movie of all time that actually fucking worked. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But sure enough, they get there and uh, the streets are packed. People are lined up to go see the thing. Uh, his crew goes in to see the movie. He decides, like, you know what? I've already seen this shit. I'm going to go do what I love and mess with the crowd. Well, there was uh, a young kid you know, outside that his battle with some eight year old. <laughs> yeah. That the kid with the worst dad ever was taking him to a two o'clock show of Dolomite when he's like nine. <laughs> and then I just kind of, I guess, it, you know, shows him outside with the crowd, uh, kind of cuts the credits. But before that, it says that. That movie was like a number one hit, which kind of I didn't know that either. It made ten million dollars. I don't know how much that equals out to now with the inflation rate is that, but yeah. I'm sure in nineteen seventy three or whatever, that was a fucking huge hit. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. 
And uh, but even that, dude, that's kind of where we get where I started this whole thing. Where is that true? <laughs> like where? Because that's when they all say like, and then went on to invent rap. Was in the same little montage where it was like well, shattered I, all sorts be. of records. I was like, I don't know. Did it really shatter records, or was that like Dolomite's take on this whole situation? You know, I don't know. <laughs> like was it really a record-breaking hit? Because I was literally like that in really the same sequence. Like, no, 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 no. It made ten million. <laughs> yeah, like. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, I believe it probably did because, and I guess you were talking around, but I can see why though. And again, I keep joking, like why they refer to him as the Godfather of Rap. His whole rhyming A and B together and like talking like that is a hundred percent that essentially that eighty Rick Ross yeah. fucking. No, 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 CD. definitely. I'm breaking his balls. It's 100% what rappers do, for sure. It's just one of those, you know, everybody says Howard Stern invented radio. It's just like somebody would have come across and, you know, said some dirty things on the radio after him or whatnot. You know what I mean? It's just like, so I'm not, uh, I don't know how much I'm willing to give Dolomite credit for the entire genre of rap just because. I get what you you mean. But I can't imagine they could just lie about something like that. Yeah, and also, I mean, as well, I feel like that's one of those movies that definitely I, I made tons of movie just in what, uh, how long of a period, you know what I mean? Because I don't, like, it, it became a legendary thing, and uh, compared to other movies that were released in 1973, they're not making fucking biopics about those movies, you know what I mean? So it, like, continues to be, sure. like, a cultural phenomenon. So over the years, it was, like, I'm sure did break all, and just we'll, you know, get into, actually, in a little bit, but, like, other well, movies of the same a, genre. Uh, or whatnot. It's definitely the most, you know, as... Yeah, no, for sure. But that was really like the all of them. That was the whole National Lampoon's franchise, the beginning. Sure. You know, like this was really just about the one movie. But and I guess that does pretty much take care of it. All in all, uh, I guess we'll move on a little bit. But what were your? Uh, I guess we'll give our big review later. But all in all, I uh, I feel you probably got the uh, uh, point that me and Devin both really enjoyed it. Anyway, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I think the cast was uh, pretty killer. Everyone, uh, all the side characters were pretty funny. Uh, I definitely found myself laughing out loud watching this by myself. You know, that's always, like I said before, past ones, that's always a good meter to me. If I'm like, find myself chuckling out loud, I'm just being like, by myself, I'm like, okay. Yeah. This is, this is funny to me. No, for sure, for sure. I was, of course, surrounded by a, uh, a army of kung fu fighting hoes that were all enjoying it as well. So we, uh, I had a different experience. I put I put a whole I, I put the social distancing off for one night. I got an army of kung fu hoes to uh, enjoy my movie night experience, but it does though make me want to go and like watch a lot of these old movies though. Be like, man, how crazy were these fucking movies? Like, yes. I want to watch. It made me really want to go watch Dolomite. 100%. And I feel that that's something that we'll probably get into, but it's just like one of these movies that uh, 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 is very nostalgic, like steeped in nostalgia for something that me and Devin aren't really nostalgic for, you know? But I have been doing, uh, 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 every Saturday night here in Coronaville, I've been doing, I think I've talked about it on one of the shows, but I've been doing my 70s movie Saturdays where I watch a movie from the 70s every Saturday. This week... 100% 100% have Dolomite penciled in. So, very yeah, excited. Yeah, I, mean, I think I might uh, join you in watching that this Saturday myself. I just got to see it, man. Just see it. Like, what a crazy ride this movie is. And Especially after back, just like, those post-credit scre- uh, uh, scenes 
where they were showing clips of the original movie, and it's like, oh man, this movie is really like the bio, like the Eddie Murphy version is a real detailed account of the actual. Like it'll be real fun to watch the the uh, original after seeing that, you know. No, for sure, I hundred percent agree with you, man. And just kind of, uh, you know, I hate to say, like the ultimate whiteness that I am, dude. But I don't think I've ever seen like Shaft or like Blackula or any of these old like black exploitation <laughs> movies. And I really want to go back and watch some of these now because shit, if they look, if they're half as good as Dolomite looks, man, I'm a hundred percent on board. Like, I've got to watch <laughs> yeah. these movies. I'm loath to say that the only Shaft movie I've seen was with uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Christian Bale. And uh, I don't think that really holds a candle. <laughs> yeah. If Bale's in it, it doesn't count. I hate to break the news to you. <laughs> yeah. but, uh... but just kind of even saying that, this movie is such like a cult classic phenomenon, too. Like self-finance, people seem to love it. Even Dolomite himself, just the records and uh, stand-up character, was just such a cult icon that it kind of got us taking a uh, closer look at some uh, other cult classic hits. Closer look, closer look, closer look. Break out the telescope, then the microscope. All of your other scopes, it's exactly what you hold. We're gonna look real close. Take a closer look, closer look. Closer look. All right, and of course, that's our Closer Look song. Check out Andre Davi on SoundCloud. Uh, from and... the soundtrack of Dolomite. Uh, I mean SoundCloud. <laughs> Although he's got some very Dolomite-ish. He would have crushed it with, in, in Craig Robinson's band, i got to be honest. Absolutely, absolutely. Andre Davi holding but, down uh, bass. Like, uh, like I said, before uh, we cut into the Closer Look, this was a cult classic phenomenon and kind of wants us to take a uh, kind of got us wanted to take a closer look it's another cult classic that uh you know might not have been the biggest movie that came out but just have a cult uh phenomenon around them that people know these movies up and down yes um but to kick things off personally like when i think of like a uh cult classic movie that like there's just a group of people that know this movie from back to uh, from start to finish and i would think of tommy Wiseau's the room of course. The that, Room, uh, definitely know, one of the all-time cult classics, really in recent years, like, immortalized by, uh, who was it? Uh, the James Franco movie. Franco, yes, turn. exactly. For, uh, James Franco made the movie, in Dolomite fashion, the movie about the movie. But for years before, mm -hmm. that was, like, the super inside uh, kind of intentionally bad, like one of the world's worst movies that everybody just loved because of that fact. For sure. Yeah, the people are just like upset. And people that have seen it, like, it's like a special little club. Like, exactly. You know, like, I'll basically just give you the uh, other side of that, where The Room was always like the other version of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Which is, of course, Absolutely. like that's pretty much the predominant, you know, cult classic. There was always like the other one, like the hip, cool one that people didn't know was The Room. And that was like the exact same thing. Literally in New For York sure. City, I... there's two theaters that every midnight, one theater shows the uh, <laughs> Rocky Horror. There's still one that every midnight shows The Room every week, you know what I mean? So. For sure. And. I... 
just like Rocky Horror too, like people go to the theaters and like say the lines with the movie. I know like Rocky Horror, people get up on like in front of the screen and act it out. I know in like the room, people like throw footballs around. Yeah, and uh, both is the same thing. It's very interactive. Whole shenanigans. The Rocky Horror Picture is far better. I've seen them both. The whole room thing is like, you know, really bad. Rocky Horror Picture is a really good movie and all, and it just kind of like lends itself to the singing and and all of the lines just with the movie, but it's not like an unintentionally funny movie like The Room. It's just, you know, has the cult classic for the sci-fi angle and the kind of, you know. For sure, for sure. Um, I would say on... uh... I guess one that was uh, our closer look for Marriage Story was that breakup film, but also another like cult classic. I would say Swingers, John Favreau and uh, okay. Vince Vaughn is a big like indie film that has like a huge cult following. For sure, uh, I guess kind of just in the '90s, if you want to go. Uh... Uh, cult films indie I, I guess in the 90s it's really just like those indie directors kind of have a little bit of a cult feel because Tarantino mm-hmm. definitely has like a, especially like the midnight shows of Pulp Fiction are a huge thing and Pulp uh, Fiction Reservoir Dogs Reservoir Dogs as well of course is another you know you uh, can even say in a Tarantino-esque True Rowing yes a for sure movie of his, but like, it's a huge cult classic for sure, but uh, uh, Pulp Fiction is definitely like in a uh, uh, every midnight theater rotation. That's like an all-time classic, you know. Big time. I would say even in that same Tarantino-esque, and like you were saying, '90s kind of like indie films, but a lot of the early Kevin Smith films, like Clerk, Chasing Amy, Mallrats. His first three are like big, yeah, call classics before they were like big budget. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Clerks, especially, uh, still gets a lot of uh, still gets a lot of play, you know, on that cult circuit, black and white and all, and like the mm-hmm. you know very young, fresh faced, uh, famous people, you know, years down the road. So that's a real cool one. But really, when you think cult classics, though, I think uh, from the you know, uh, a vintage of the Dolomite, and like we said, Rocky Horror, and I really felt for me watching Dolomite, and it's another one actually that I brought up, I think, in one of the recent episodes, but uh, I guess maybe last week with the best Boston movies, but it's definitely this movie, the uh, uh, Dolomite was is definitely, like, if you're looking for the white version of Dolomite, it would definitely be the John Waters catalog from, like, Pink Flamingos and Female Troubles especially. For sure, but man. totally antisocial content, like, beyond crazy, you know, over-the-top antisocial, uh, you know, content. And as well, just extremely shabbily done. Like, it's an indie movie to the point that me and you can make it, especially, like, now in the 2000s watching these movies, but, you know, uh, all from the early 70s, but, like, even by then, they had, like, the Lou Reed feel of we can very go well, create this ourselves, you know? It's like the jackass boys. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But Dolomite, um, like, uh, uh, just, you know, it's even further on that, but, of course, those movies star the character Divine which is like, you know, a, a trans, you know, like a transsexual or whatever. But uh, uh, it's like a very, you know, notable individual character, much like Rudy Ray Moore and Dolomite, that would then go on to star in lots of different movies, all kind of based on the one, like, persona of Divine, you know? So it's a very similar kind of thing, you know? 
team for sure. I don't even kind of flip it around and kind of say one that like you wouldn't think, but because uh, you think of it now and you're like, oh, that was like a big box office movie. Everyone knows and loves that movie. But when Scarface first came out, it was a theater bomb. Like it ate shit. And it really? wasn't until like people started talking about that movie afterwards. And, like you've got to see this crazy, like interesting, hilarious Al Pacino doing the Cuban accent. Uh, yeah. I mean, but that's definitely one that, like, like benefits... I'm sorry, what, were you... what was that? I said it definitely started off as a cult film. Okay, interesting. Because, yeah, that one, that definitely benefits from, like, you know, 90s rappers giving it a second birth, you know what I mean? Where, like, me and you only know that movie <laughs> because it was on, like, every single rapper's wall in Cribs, you know? Like, remember Cribs? Every rapper had to go through their, like, Scarface fucking, you know, uh, yeah. huge shrine. And I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta check out this Scarface. All right, I gotta start I doing mean, some I of think, this cocaine. Like, Jesus. <laughs> I think that even goes back to us, one of our earlier game time Hollywood go-to guys, was I think Al Pacino and Scarface wanted out just because of many... Uh, Scarface posters in kids like college dorms I guess for another more contemporary one I'd say uh, uh, pr perhaps since Rocky Horror and The Room but all time cult film uh, uh, from more recent years but Big Lebowski so cult that it even has its own traveling festival, which uh, unfortunately due to coronavirus I believe has been cancelled this year or not taking place <laughs> But a couple years Nothing ago, sacred coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, a couple years ago, I went to the bowling, the Big Lebowski Fest bowling night, and they hold. Uh, now it was actually spread to New York. I guess it would originally would take place every year in Louisville. It's like a designated like home base, and then I caught the New York version out. It was like spreading. You know, they were like rolling out additional dates and stuff. But Big Lebowski, of course, you can buy like the whole wardrobe online, the whole white mm -hmm. Russians. Like, there's just it's just become such a thing. And as well, when it came out, it was definitely not a huge smash. You know? No, 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 for sure, for sure. Um... I guess another movie like that, you can kind of say, because, again, like, Lebowski is, like, a big, it was, like, a high, uh, a theater release, but it definitely has a cult following, but, um, ah, uh, shit, what was I going to say? Oh, Spinal Tap. I guess you could say Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap is a big cult following of just, like, being one of the first mockumentary series that, like, yeah. whenever you talk about that, people will always go back to this is Spinal Tap. 100%. That one as well has the great cult uh, additive of you can literally go see him live or like play the uh, if you don't feel like laughing along to the movie you can go play the album and like wonder if it's a joke or not <laughs> because <laughs> like but that actually makes a huge difference when there's like and again it kind of like I mean the whole thing was like I guess crossing the line you know in that the point of that movie but like that album is literally you know not only does it give them like they literally went on tour and all that kind of stuff and adds like a whole nother uh, uh, element uh -huh. of fandom but as well, it does have the great, like, quotability. If you ever go see a Spinal Tap show, definite lots of moments where, you know, uh, this one goes to the 11, ah, and the whole place goes nuts. You know, there's, like, t uh, specific moments that everybody looks forward to and whatnot. Of course, anytime Absolutely. they play Stonehenge, I lose my mind. And Stonehenge is definitely what you're supposed <laughs> to yell these days instead of yelling Freebird. <laughs> when looking when, when a band's looking for a song request, always go Stonehenge. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's my pro tip anyway. That's a great one. That's a great one. Uh, I was 
one more that I have, and this one's just a uh, personal one to the Geeked Up Boys and uh, Mike the Accountant, uh, fan of the show and guest. But uh, I'm going to go In the Soup, 1992 film starring Steve Buscemi. <laughs> oh, <Lucian>. nice. <laughs> Here we go. A real place in the uh, Geeked Up Boys heart. Uh, lost footage movie. Actually won the cans uh, in 92. Uh Yes, and we got to see it at the uh, we went, like a film festival. Yeah, it was uh, like I guess to explain it was like a what like a thirtieth anniversary of the film or not, but it was a Steve Buscemi uh, produced, created whole project from the early nineties that I think like the uh, footage got like burned or some shit, right? And then it was actually restored. That was why that like that was the yeah, honorable you were seeing. Lost or burned. Yeah, it wasn't even like they like couldn't shop it or whatever. It was like because back then they, it was actually like on film, not you know there there was no uh, they didn't have it back backdated in the cloud back then. You know what I mean? So it was like literally the film got damaged, and instead of refurbishing it at the time, Steve Buscemi just like moved on to you know he made Reservoir Dogs actually I think literally. You know, because I think they talked yeah. about how uh, in that film festival process, like he was up for like uh, Reservoir Dogs was in the same indie film circuit as in the soup. And they were like competing against yeah, each they other. They were both like, I think Reservoir Dogs won like the fan award. And I think in the soup won the critic award for uh, Cannes or Cannes, however you say it. Exactly. So Buscemi kind of went on to a great acting career, didn't really worry about getting the whole, you know, thing refurbished and whatnot until years later when he was successful, they dug it up and uh, re-released it. I think you can now find it, you know, definitely, I'd say you'd be able to stream it now. Super cool indie, 90s indie film to the absolute max. Who is the guy, Tom Cazal or whatever, the other uh, great, you know, guy starred was a great role. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Seymour Castle. Seymour Castle, exactly. But uh, a great film to check out there. And a real, you know, too cool for the room. You can join the Geeked Up Boys looking down your nose at the rest of the world. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I but, guess uh, uh, that pretty much taps out, I guess. That will maybe I'll give a shout out to the uh, Zoom Room coming up this week we'll, where we'll be looking for some more cult classics as well as we want to get in because me and you did both mention that we have not really seen any of the great black exploitation films right a lot <laughs> like you mentioned blackula and blackenstein which i don't know how that's missed me on halloween's past but uh we want to hear from anybody i guess i've seen superfly if that counts and across okay, 110th street which is like a real movie with anthony quinn but uh uh so if we we want to hear from any people that have actually uh, can contribute to some of the cult black exploitation films, if the if the list if the uh, members of the uh, of the other geeked up show are listening, <laughs> and can offer us any insight into the. But uh, uh, for real, if there's any, you know, so we'll be looking forward to that on the Zoom room. Foxy Brown, The Shafts, Cotton Comes to Harlem was a famous one that mm -hmm. I've already seen. Well, I guess I have seen as well Harder They Come, which is the Jimmy Cliff Jamaican movie that was, you know, uh, in the theaters alongside Dolomite in the movie. But we want to hear from your black exploitation films as well as your cult classics. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Let us know the Zoom room. Let us know an email. And I guess that's our closer look, which would bring us to our official review time of this movie. Uh, you know, we've done the review, we've done the uh, 
plot breakdown. We've done the cast. We've done a closer look. We've looked at some Eddie Murphy bangers. So all that's left is to really give you guys our official Netflix and chat review. Um, I guess I'll go first because Liam's is a whole five-tier system that takes ten minutes <laughs> to explain. So uh, <clears throat> if I may, it's time for my Netflix and review, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. This is a movie I would want to see, like people watching Dolomite in 73. It made me laugh and want to rhyme. I would watch this movie anytime. I liked the movie. I liked it a lot. And that's, that's going to be my final thought. <laughs> <laughs> well really done. Inspired by, uh, really inspired by uh, Dolomite is my name. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but with uh, all big props the, again, the sucker. I was still taking those suck MC emails, y'all. But Barnes is really going ahead right now with the with the rhymes. But uh, like we were saying, uh, you can tell I was talking about this. Um, really liked this movie, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Oh no, man! We I never gave you the uh, Rotten Tomatoes review of it, and uh, without making you guess, it was a critics ninety seven percent and an audience ninety one percent. Wow. Yeah. 97 uh, by the I critics. Movie, Jesus. Huh? I think uh, the reviews were a little too high for it. I think I would probably give it an 89%. And there's nothing I really didn't like about it, but I don't think it deserved a close to 100% uh, <laughs> yeah. fresh rating. But uh, like we say all the time, watching I mean, watching all these Netflix movies, we really do like roll into some stinkers. So yes. going into this one, it was just under two hours, which uh, some of these movies that feels like it's forever. This one really like, I never was like looking to, I was never tuning out. I was never like checking the time to see like how much more this movie was left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I, uh, was entertained, thoroughly entertained the whole time. It was great seeing Eddie Murphy kind of being back to basics and uh, making yeah. these R-rated comedies. It was hilarious seeing Wesley Snipes uh, making his uh, Ray Liotta-esque comeback. <laughs> yeah, um, no, great but performances. All, but all in all, I would definitely recommend someone to watch this movie. And even talking to fans of the show about the humor and everything, this is one of the first movies that I guess besides maybe like The Irishman that a lot of people have already watched like on their own. But yes. like, oh no, it was like digging to watch this movie That's the second too, it came yeah. out. And I think in that aspect, it held up to it. You know what I mean? This movie had the potential to be a total stinker, and uh, it wasn't. It was, I enjoyed the whole thing, to yeah. be honest with you. All right. I guess uh, that'll get me to mine, where I, you know, have similar thoughts. Of course, however, I give the four-point rating system, where if I absolutely hate it, I give it the Nick Cage from Mandy. If I uh, uh, didn't like it, I give it the Damon, uh, the Damon Wayne's David Allen Greer Men on Films. Hated it. If I uh, uh, liked it, I give it the Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hell yeah! And if I really, really loved it, I give it the Rudy's Dad. This is the most beautiful sight these eyes have ever seen. Uh, Only been handed out once. 
by the way, for Tiger King. I, uh, I, had I have handed it out only once for Tiger King. Devin has handed it out once for Stranger Things Season 3. <laughs> and I probably agree with... Uh, I, I didn't fight him too hard. So, <laughs> But yes, I'm a pretty tough critic, as Devin points out. And I guess... Yeah, I think I know, I think I know where you're going to go with this, but with you, I, I never know. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't be... Shocked that you gave it a Mandy scream right now. I, uh, <laughs> no, I know I really liked it, but I don't know if this Dolomite <laughs> guy is. No, uh, I, I really, really uh, enjoyed it uh, to the point where I'm giving it a stone called Steve Austin. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. But uh, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. For what it was, I really, really liked it in terms of, you know, a, a biopic on the, the dude from Dolomite, some movie like that I've never seen, like we mentioned. So, uh, uh, however, in a lot of ways, I kind of find, found it a little bit more interesting than, like, entertaining. And in some ways, it was just like, uh, I feel like it would maybe it was maybe a little too specifically about the making of the Dolomite movie, as opposed to like the uh, crazy character. And I would have loved to see a little uh, post-Dolomite success with all of the rest of the movie. And if you're doing a biopic, I kind of would have liked to see a little bit more of his personal life. You know what I mean? Which you didn't really get any of the uh, the crazy character's personal life. It was just all like the details of this movie, which I haven't seen. So kind of getting to what I was saying before, it's like a little nostalgic for something that I'm not nostalgic for. Maybe if I knew the movie, I would have liked it that much more. Like if it was the if it was the Chris Tucker biopic on Friday, Rudy's dad. However, the <laughs> you know the Dolomite. Since I haven't seen it, I'm giving it the Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hell yeah! And I think a lot of it is the uh, the fact that I really enjoyed it. However, kind of because I'm a little lost on Dolomite in general, like. The ceiling was only so high on this movie, you know, and it did support, like, sur- surpass that mark of, you know, how good a, a Dolomite biopic could be. But for-, for me personally, could I tell, like, any random stranger, you gotta watch the Dolomite biopic? Maybe they're not into, you know, maybe they're not into, like, 70s uh, crazy black exploitation movies and aren't gonna be interested in the whole, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, so mm-hmm. from that standpoint, I don't know if it's just, like, a, a great movie you can tell anybody to watch a great story that you know anybody can relate to or should know about i feel like you know uh, me and you are really into it because we're kind of you know into that level of culture what it would interest us but so from that standpoint it kind of holds it back from being a rudy's dad however in terms of like a, a random you know a biopic of a random 70s black exploitation movie I'm going to give it the uh, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, hell yeah. Hell yeah! However... Yeah, I think that's all well-deserved. Uh, well, well, I think that's all well-deserved. Yeah. It's a very fair review. And as well, though, to however, to piggyback on what you uh, something that you did say, though, I would give pretty close to Rudy's dad uh, for Eddie Murphy's performance uh, uh, just in itself. And Eddie Murphy is definitely back, and a great role from Eddie Murphy. If I find out that you're an Eddie Murphy's fan, it's a uh, it's a must watch, and potentially. And if yeah. you are a Dolomite fan, it's a Rudy's dad, I'm sure. You know what I mean? But uh-huh. uh, 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 so great performance by Eddie Murphy. Really, a lot of great performances just in general throughout the movie, and really, really super enjoyable. Stone Cold, hell yeah! Hell yeah! Oh hell yeah! I I agree, man. So with that, that's our review. Uh, pretty resounding all around to the Geek Up Boys. Uh, 
That would be it for this uh, picture. My uh, Dolomite is my name. Leaving us with only one thing that we would usually do, and that would be asking Brad what's in the box. What's in the box? But unfortunately, like we keep pointing out, we're still in quarantine, so me and Liam can't be digging our hands in the same box trying to figure out what movie we're going <laughs> to be watching next. And it's kind of why we've been doing these Zoom room things, too, is because we're looking for golden ticket suggestions. And uh, we did get one, uh, again, for this next week coming up for the movie we're going to watch. Yes, for my good friend, and uh, uh, he's got a pretty solid attendance record on the Zoom room. I think he's been at least two out of three so far for our Zoom rooms. But, uh, but my good friend MJ Jacobson has offered up extraction from to the golden ticket list, and uh, I think that's what we're going to be going with for this week. The Golden Distraction, starring Thor himself and written by one of the directors of the Avengers movies. So <laughs> yeah. I like everything I'm seeing so far. And this one as well, hot off the presses on Netflix. We have a couple other golden ticket suggestions for some other, you know, more recent uh, uh, recent stuff as well, as well as some other kind of more vintage Netflix classics. However, this is like late breaking off of Netflix. So we're going to uh, uh, give it a whirl as everybody's stuck streaming at home. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one, uh, especially after Spencer, Tom, Spencer Confidential. Uh, hopefully there's not too – maybe there'll be some funny Australian accents in this movie, but uh, <laughs> hopefully this one kind of shows how an action movie should be. Yeah, yeah great uh, call. I look forward to watching it. But that'll be uh, on our next episode of Geek Up Presents Netflix and Chat. Join us this Friday at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in our Geek Up Zoom Room party where we'll be uh, talking, obviously, Dolomite is my name, maybe some favorite cult classic movies, making maybe some of you guys try to rhyme in the, uh, <laughs> in the Zoom Room chat. But <laughs> Potentially a freestyle battle between me and Devin, although I don't want to make any promises. <laughs> although but you never you know. <laughs> um, but that'll be this show we'll get you guys this Friday night in the Zoom room we'll get you next week with new episodes of Geek the Podcast and Netflix and Chat I'm Devin Bond that's Liam Whalen and fucking motherfuckers up is our game Listen while I run down the man's pedigree.
plenty so He's rough and ready Don't try to stop Cause you still will regret it oh, Man is dynamite Dolomite 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 Yeah, yeah, you're alright Think you ought to be told all oh, right now. Look out for time bomb, don't mind. At any time, a man might explode. Mm-hmm. He's the coldest and the boldest man that ever been in time. <laughs> you know what? He can stick one thumb in the ground and turn the whole world around. And that's Dolomite, y'all. What's up, y'all? This is Mr. Wu Baby himself, Andre Davi. You're listening to the Geeked Up Podcast on SoundCloud. Yeah, and I'm still taking those episodes and emails, y'all. Woo!